You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hello, Grace Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and we just want to welcome you, those here at the Overland Park campus in the auditorium, those at Prairie Creek at our Olathe campus, those in the venue, and those online. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us. Uh, just real quick, uh, two things. As the ushers are coming up and down the aisles in all our environments, uh, you can just raise your hand if you need a Bible or a pen or something to write on. They'll hook you up. Also, you can download our Grace Church app. Just go to the App Store, download it there, visit Grace Church. It'll pop up, download it. It's free. Uh, and you can follow along in our notes there as well. Also, uh, Pastor Ben, our worship pastor, uh, gave uh, just an announcement. I'm going to do it again. It's PG-13 Day is what we call it. We're in our last week in our series called Tensions, and we're dealing with sexuality. So if you have really a fifth grader below, I think it's more than okay sixth grade and up. But if you have a fifth grader below, again, if you want to keep them in here, that's completely your call. No judgment here. I just want you to know in advance that we're going to be talking about a lot of things of a sexual nature. So just want you to know that. Grace Kids is downstairs. They're doing amazing things here at the Oval Park campus. They're also Grace Kids there in the Olathe campus, and they will take care of you. Speaking of Grace Kids, this last week we had SBO Junior had a great week. Close to 500 kids, four years old, through kindergarten, Olathe and Overland Park came together. God did amazing things. The Bible came alive, and our young ones learned how they are fearfully and wonderfully made. It was fun just to see my kids come home every day just excited what God taught them. It was pretty cool. And this week, Overland Park and Olathe is coming together to do summer breakout. That's those going into second grade through sixth grade. We're going to have close, I think, over 700 here on this campus all week long, and they're going to learn about Jesus. And our heart is that every kid that comes, they'll learn what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and become outward focused followers of Jesus. So I just want to take a moment, if we can, all our campuses together, just to close our eyes. Let's pray for summer breakout and to God do amazing things. So Lord, uh, we just give summer breakout to you. We pray for the leaders that have energy, passion, excitement as they teach the next generation about you. Lord, I pray that every kid, no matter what walk of life, uh, they're from, no matter what their fam- family, excuse me, dynamic is, Lord, that they'll learn about you. And they'll begin to understand what it means to have a relationship with you. They'll talk to their moms or their dads or their grandparents or their group leader and begin to discover what it means to be a follower of Jesus, Lord. We give it to you. In your name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're in our last week in a series called Tensions. The first week, we talked about race and how not to make snap judgments and how we as a church need to respond and love people the way God created them. The second week we talked about the Bible and how it's the word of God and the tension of, you know, how do we apply it to our lives? How do we know it's true? Russell did a great job with that. And then last week we talked about work-life balance and the priority pyramid and how if God is first, then everything else will flow. And now the last week, I drew the short end of the stick, we're going to talk about sexuality, all right? And so, you know, two things people don't like to talk about in church. One is money and two is sex. Well, I'm not going to talk about money. And sex, okay? I'm talking about just sex, all right? So we're going to dive in today. Because we think about sexuality in our community, in society, in Western culture, really the world, there's a lot of tensions and ideas and thoughts that come to mind. You think about it. Think about turning on the news and what people believe and think. 
Whether you're on the left or whether the right, there's different views there. There's tension. When you flip open your computer, there's tension. When you're on your phone, when you're on a billboard, there's tensions there. Some people would say there's between 500 and 2,000 or so sexual images that come your way a day, whether it's through ads, commercials, TV shows, the internet. It is in our face all the time. How, is we, how do we as a church respond to this? When you think of sexuality, I think of the discussion of same-sex marriage versus heterosexual marriage and the discussion and opinions that go on there. We also have the porn industry that makes more money than Major League Baseball, NFL, and the NHL combined. Pornography. It's at our fingertips. We can also talk about sex slavery and the millions and millions of sex slaves that are out there. Some would say 1.2 million kids are trafficked every year into slavery. It's a tension. Talk about sex, sex outside of the marriage context and the discussion there. And the thought is, hey, if I know I'm going to marry them or if I live with them, it's okay that we're sexual. We're committed to each other. The tension that is there as well. So what do we do with it? How do we as a church respond in this topic that is everywhere? The gender identity issue. And if you're created male, but hey, you want to be a female. Or you're created female and you say, hey, I want to be created Male, we have this tension that surrounds us. And we're going to dive into this topic. We're going to discuss it. But before I do so, I want to lay a few ground rules. And the first one is this. We cannot tackle every issue in regards to sexuality today. It's not possible. There's so much there. There's throughout scriptures a lot of ways we could go. So I just want you to know we're not going to tackle every issue. The second is that this message... We're going to use the Bible, the Word of God, as our frame and filter in this discussion. So we have a picture frame that frames a picture, right? Well, the Bible, we're going to use as our frame and filter as this discussion. Now, some of you in here might not even believe the Bible to be true. And that's cool that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. Keep coming. And my heart, my hope is that you'll just begin to look at Scripture and see how it is alive, how it is true, and how God can speak to you through it. So the Bible will be our frame and filter as we address the topic of sexuality. Another ground rule is this. We want to approach this topic with both grace and truth. My heart is not to condemn anyone. My heart is not to make anyone feel bad about themselves. My heart is to present God's word and what he has to say about it with grace and truth. Because of God's grace and his love for us, he left left us his word. 40 different authors wrote 66 books, all dealing with the centralized theme of the gospel, which is that Jesus came and he died for us. He left his place on high, came, lived a perfect sinless life, died for us. Three days later, he rose again, conquered sin and death so we could live. So because of God's grace, he gives us his truth. And then as we look at his truth throughout scripture, we see his grace. The fourth ground rule is this. There are probably people in here at the Aletha campus or in the venue that have dealt with some sort of sexual abuse. Happens more than we think. And I want to let you know that if you've been a victim of this, it is not your fault. It makes me sick to my stomach and I feel terrible for you. At the same time, I believe that God can bring hope and healing to your soul 
And I know just the word sex can bring a lot of thoughts and emotions out. My heart is, and my hope is that God just meets you there today. And our last ground rule is, we are a room full of sexual sinners. So before we begin to make our judgments and think about how this message could apply to someone else, most likely everyone in this room has sinned sexually. In some way, shape, or form, whether it's something you looked at, something you've done, something you've experienced that's been outside of the will of God is sinful. And so we need to realize that. So we want to approach this topic and this tension with humility, with love, and with grace. And for God, see, I, I, I can do this a lot. I can think of a message or read God's word. Oh, this would apply to this person's life or this would apply to this person's life. But what does God want to do in your heart today? You see, this topic is talked about a lot. I've gotten the question multiple times. Hey, what do you, uh, what do you believe about same-sex marriage? Is it biblical? Is it not? Is it sinful? I get that question a lot. I get this question a lot from young couples, older couples who are not married. Hey, I love them. I, can I just sleep with them? Is that okay? Like, I, I know I'm committed to them. I don't have any other partners at this time. It has to be okay. It's love. It's genuine love. It's a good question. And while all these are important questions, I think there's a more important question we need to tackle today. What was God's original intent for marriage and sexuality in Scripture? What was God's original plan, go pre-fall, pre-sin, for marriage within Scripture? I want to pray for us, and then we'll dive in. So God, just open up our hearts, Lord. I know there's a lot of probably even opinions in this room, emotions in this room. Lord, I pray that your spirit will come and be present. That all of us will listen, open up our eyes and our hearts to you. And all of us have different bias, if you will, different thoughts on the topic of sexuality coming to this room, Lord, that we will be humble and we'll be the church that responds with the gospel. God, we love you. Amen. Okay, so as I said, we're going to look at scripture as our frame and filter for this topic. And the first part I want us to look at in scripture is Matthew 19. Matthew 19. So open your Bibles. You can follow along on our notes as well. All right, are on the screen, but it's Matthew 19 verse 1. Says this, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee, came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. So here's Jesus going from Galilee to Judea. Now the Pharisees, verse 3, okay, the Pharisees were a group of people who tried to prove that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. All right, they were very opinionated, they had their way of living, very judgmental, and they're trying to mess with Jesus, trying to trip him up. All right, so the Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And here goes Jesus, talks about what marriage is for, the purpose of marriage, how God intended marriage to be. Verse 4, and he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? There we can see gender identity right off the bat. God created them male and female. It was not a mistake. It was God's intention, God's plan. In verse 5, and said, for this reason, okay, remember he's saying from the beginning. So he goes back, he's quoting, he's talking about Genesis, all right, 1 and 2. He says, 
For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So we see a man leaving his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. We see God's original intent, purpose, pre-fall for marriage. For sexuality. And so what does that look like? How are we going to build this frame work around what God intended? The first point is this. Is that we are made in the image of God. God created man and woman in his own image. The first part of our frame is the fact that we are made in his image. And right now you're like, okay, what does that even mean? Why does that matter in regards to sexuality? Well, Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does that look like for us? We're made in the image. Okay, the Hebrew word image or likeness means this, something similar to. Not identical, but similar. You are made in the image of God. For example, my son Emerson, okay, he's our oldest. We have three kids, boy, girl, boy. My son Emerson, most would say he looks a lot like me and that he acts a lot like me and that when he doesn't get his way, he is grumpy like me. And he can talk to anyone. Like, I've never met a stranger. I love talking to people. Emerson is the same way. But he is not me. We are similar but not exactly alike. Check this out. You are made in the image of God. And if you're in here on a side note, Apart from sexuality, if you're here and you're feeling hopeless, helpless, not worthy, not important, not cared for, God made you in his own image. That is a profound thought. We run past that so fast. God made you in his own image. He loves you. He desires a relationship with you. Again, you're asking, okay, what does having to be made in his image have to do with sexuality and what God intended for the marriage relationship? It is this. The Trinity. See, we see in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us, the Trinity, make man in our image according to our likeness. We see the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One who is three. Living in relationship with each other. Equal but distinctly different in their functions. See, God has authority over his son Jesus, just as man has authority over his wife. But they're equal, but distinctly different. And we're supposed to reflect the image of God and the image of the Trinity, who is the Godhead. So if we're to reflect the image of God, we see it's important to have distinctly different entities, if you will, come together pursuing oneness to reflect the Trinity. Not just God, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, God made men and women different, masculine and feminine. Women are beautiful, men are hairy. Women smell good, guys don't. No, all joking aside, God made us different. Both in his image, distinctly different, but equal. And if we're going to have a God glorifying marriage, if we're going to reflect God's image the way God designed pre-fall, right back to Genesis 1 and 2, in the marriage context, and we have to have a God glorifying, equally, 
but distinctly different marriage pursuing oneness. Think about it. And maybe you've never thought of the Trinity and how it reflects his image in the marriage context, but this is the whole imagery here. This is the purpose of being made in his image in this way. The second part is this to our frame. So not only are we made in the image of God and reflect the, the relational nature of the Trinity in equally different but distinct, excuse me, distinctly different but equal, we also see that we're to be fruitful and multiply. It says in Genesis 1, 28, be fruitful and multiply. It also says in Malachi 21, excuse me, 2, 15. We see in Malachi 2, 15, the importance of being fruitful and multiplying the way God intended it to happen. And it's very obvious through Scripture that the way that we are supposed to conceive children is rooted in the marriage relationship. And so we are to be fruitful and multiplied in a marriage between a man and a woman, distinctly different but equal, pursuing oneness, rooted in biblical marriage context. And you might be in here and you're married and you're pursuing God and you all can't have kids, and I want to take a, just a moment to say your marriage is just as valid and important and that God wants to use you and you can glorify him in your marriage and not to make light or just to um, hurt your heart at all. There's many people out there that need to be adopted and need a home of a husband and wife that are pursuing a relationship with Jesus and need that in their life. But we see that God's plan, it's not the sole purpose of marriage, but one of the important aspects of marriage is to be fruitful and multiply. The third point is this, if we're going to look at our frame, all right? So we have this frame, we have, we're made in the image of God, we're to fruitful and multiply. The third is this, the image of grace between Christ and his church. The image of grace between Christ and his church. This is how God designed marriage to be. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. All right, so the Apostle Paul is quoting, we saw in Matthew 19, we see in Genesis, all right, leave his father and mother, they become one. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul states that marriage is about a relationship that Jesus has with his church between two different roles, but complementary in their function. This is how God intends marriage and sex and intimacy to be. Think about Jesus' love for the church. Think about it for a second. What kind of love was it? And if this is the imagery between our relationships and how we're supposed to pursue marriage, how we're supposed to pursue sexuality, we need to look how Jesus loved his church. And this was a selfless love, a sacrificial love, a committed love, an unconditional love, a patient love. This is the type of love that Jesus had for his church. I'm thankful for that. And here is how we should view sexuality. And the question is, is that what society is betraying sexuality to be? I have to say no. If you think about it, turn on a sitcom or go see a movie and how they portray sexuality. This is selfish. It's, you can have multiple partners and wake up and just be fine. It doesn't affect you. You turn on the internet and you can look at pornography and the crazy thing, you know, a lot of the pornography in, industry is made up of those that are trafficked and 
are sex slaves. It's sick. It's sinful. It's hurtful. See, not only does sex affect our bodies, it can affect our souls. Let's watch. I've asked Pastor Tim to film a video, and they're on their way back from Israel right now, but I want you to see what Tim talks about 1 Corinthians in regards to sexuality. Let's watch it. Hey, guys. Uh, my family and I are traveling back right now from Israel, our mission trip. Uh, so excited to be back joining with you again. Um, this weekend, Chris Fetters is talking about tensions regarding sexuality, and he asked me to share just some thoughts from 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, and so when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you can see that God connects our sexuality and, and our sexual activity to our spiritual life. Our sexual activity is connected to our spiritual life. It impacts us in a positive and negative kind of a way. Because he makes this comment in chapter 6, verse 18, flee sexual immorality. If you're involved in sexual immorality, sexual activity outside of a context of marriage, run. Run like you see in the book of Genesis with Joseph. Run from Potiphar's wife. Run. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. The Apostle Paul was saying, you know, every sin is spiritual. Every sin is spiritual. But certain sins are also physical. Not only spiritual, but physical as well. Sexual immorality, uh, like addiction, is one of those that when you engage in sexual morality, you're sinning also against your own body. So what do you do about this? In chapter 7, verse 1, he answers a question from the church. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, this was a follow-up Bible question for Paul, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. So they're asking him, they're not talking about, is it good for a person not to you know, shake hands or high-five? That's not the touching he's talking about, sexual touching, contact. They'd written him, okay, just how far in a dating relationship can we go with sexual touching? Like, where is the line? He says, well, you know, honestly, it's good to draw the line and not touch sexually a woman. So he says, well, what do you do about that if you're, you're dating, you're engaged? What do you do? Well, we'll marry it. Verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. There's God's plan. And let each woman have her own husband. There's God's plan. So marry it. Then he says, once you marry it, stay sexually active. Because there is a great temptation for couples out of being wounded, hurt, not feeling it, to withhold sex. Verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent. You both have to agree. For a time, there has to be an end date for that. That you're doing something spiritual. That you may give yourselves to fasting and to prayer. So you're fasting from food, giving that time to prayer, and come together again. End your sexual fast so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, your sexuality is connected to your spiritual life. It's vital. It's the way God designed you. And there's a crash course on 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. So we see again the effect that sexuality has on us, both positive and negative. You know, in a lot of the de- topic, it seems that sexuality is, right now, is the whole same-sex marriage, whether it's right or not. And I, I believe, biblically, we kind of define what God's intent for marriage is. But the thing that we need to look at, really, is the heterosexual sin that takes place that is much more rampant than any other kind of sexual sin in our society today. 
And Tim kind of talks about it there. And that a lot of us deal with this issue. And it's something that we've got to say, God, we need your help and healing in this area. And maybe, again, you're in here and you don't believe the Bible to be true. Well, if you think about it, um, you know, this has a lot of great stuff in it. I believe it's infallible word of God, but let's remove it for a second. And let's look scientifically. Okay, so I had the opportunity when I lived in Colorado for four years, I had the opportunity to speak at our public schools on the topic of sexuality. And we took a scientific approach. It was called Pursue, done by Education for a Lifetime. And multiple doctors and researchers, psychologists came together after years and years are continuing the research still today, but came together after years and years of research to see how scientifically it is best to save yourself for the marriage relationship in a heterosexual marriage. Because what takes place is very important to understand when we're having sex. And so science proves and research shows that there is a bonding hormone called oxytocin. And this bonding hormone of oxytocin happens in a couple different ways. One is a mom and her baby. So when a mom is nursing their baby, their son or their daughter, there's this bonding hormone that goes out between the two. And that's oftentimes why a mom and their baby are closer in that first year, why they want mom. Because this bonding hormone takes place, and that's why they are close. This same hormone is released in sexual activity. So think about it for a second. Say I would take a piece of duct tape. I rip a piece of duct tape off and I put it on my hairy arms, right? And I had to rip it off. It would hurt. I'd probably dance around, cry, feel like I got my arms waxed. Okay, so I did that one time. And now I take the same piece of duct tape and I put it back and I rip it. It would hurt, not quite as bad. Take that same piece of duct tape, do it again the third time. Yeah, it would probably would hurt. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. The more I do it, the less durable and less strong, if you will, that duct tape is. It will not bond to me as well. That's the same thing in regards to sexuality. The more partners we have, the more we do it outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage relationship, it will affect you in your body and your ability to connect with people. Science also proves, and all these statistics show us, that people who have multiple sexual relationships deal with regret, hurt, loneliness, low self-esteem, depression, higher divorce rates. Did you know that cohabitation, actually, when you live with someone before you're married to them, that those relationships have a higher rate of divorce? Science and statistics And analyzing this shows us. Now, my heart is not to make you feel bad if you had multiple partners, because I believe that God can bring hope and healing to this area. But I think it's crazy. Actually, it's not crazy. It's divine. That even when we take the Bible out of it, that science proves that God's word and his original intent for marriage is true. It's valid. It makes sense. On the flip side, scientists and the research show that those who save themselves for marriage in a heterosexual relationship have healthier identity formation. There are lower suicide rates, lower depression rates, and a lower rate of divorce. It's crazy to think about. 
So what do we do? How do we respond? I want to talk to the singles in this room and the students in this room for a moment. I want you to know that it is worth waiting for what God's original intent for sexuality is for. While it might seem, you know, it's not significant, it's not a big deal if I have multiple partners or I don't do it the way God intended, God wants you to experience his very best for you. God desires for you to have a healthy identity formation and to find your comfort and your identity in him and him alone. And sex will not provide that for you. See, sex is a great thing in the right context. It's passionate. It's vulnerable. It's life-giving. It's fun. It feels good. All those things are wonderful in regards to sexuality, but the way that God intended it to happen and take place. And so how do we respond? What do we do? The last part of our frame, if you will, see we made it the image of God, fruitful and multiply, the image and the grace of Jesus and his church. And the, the last part of our frame is this, is that we as the church need to care for our community with the love of Jesus. Because the only way that we are going to flip the idea of sexuality the distorted views of sexuality in society is because of the love of Jesus. Everything, every view on sexuality, every view on anything else is all secondary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is what I realized. That no matter what I say, no matter what I do, no matter what you say or what you do or how many opinions you give at the water cooler, no matter how many opinions you give with your coworkers or whether you believe the left or the right, none of that matters compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That needs to be the centralized focus. Only Jesus can bring healing to this area. Only Jesus can bring hope in regards to sexuality. Christ and Christ alone. I'm going to ask Pastor Ben to come out. As we end this message. When I think about the gospel, I want to ask you guys right now. No matter where you are. If you're with us online, I want to ask you. If people in your workplace or in your family, would they say your opinions are front and center? Or is the gospel front and center? What would the people say around you? There's a statement that I try to live my life by. Am I perfect? No, I have many flaws. Believe me. But when things get difficult or tough questions come away, or there's a heated discussion that happens. I try to live my life by this point. Don't affect your ability to make a difference by making a point. Don't affect your ability to make a difference just by trying to make a point. And how does this expose itself? What does this look like in our life? I'm going to tell you a story. A couple years back, I go to this gym. My wife and I in Olathe. It's a great community. We love uh, working out there. It's become fun. People look different than us, act different, believe different. And, but it's become a community that we can just love our neighbors ourselves, live out the gospel. And we try to be very intentional in this community. And I oftentimes don't tell people 
uh, I don't say, hey, my name's Chris, I'm a pastor, I don't do that, that'd be weird. And uh, because um, sometimes when you say what you do for a living, you say you're a pastor, people like either ask a lot of questions or they don't want to talk to you or they begin to confess your, their sins to you. I'm like, I don't want to know all that. And so anyway, long story short, um, this friend of mine, she is a girl, she has a partner who is a girl, and they live a homosexual lifestyle, and she's, she knows what I do, and we became friends, and she's like, you know, you're kind of a nice guy, and she says, hey, Chris, Jesus guy, like, huh? What do you think of gay marriage? I said, excuse me? I came to work out. <laughs> She said, yeah, what do you think of me being a homosexual? And I thought about that point for a second. I said, okay, I want to be able to make a difference in her life long term. I just don't want to make a point. I said, well, that's a okay, good question. But before I answer that question, can I ask you a question? Do you believe in Jesus and the Bible to be true? Well, no, I don't. Have you ever read it? No. I said, well, that's a Let's start there because that's really insignificant right now. I said, how about this? Would you be willing to maybe read it a little bit and see what the Bible has to say just about Jesus in general and about marriage and sexuality? She says, okay, I'll give it a try. I said, why don't you come over to our house? You and your partner come over to my house and Lindsay and I will talk to you. We'll make dinner and let's just begin a friendship first. So they've come over to our house multiple times and we've become friends. And we've had discussions and they, I've given them my frame and filter what I believe the Bible to be true. But we started a relationship. Because she said this. She goes, you know what? You're the first person that believes in Jesus that has not made me feel like a sinner in this small. Every I've gone to a couple churches just to find out and they've judged me. And one church even asked me not to come back. Is that the gospel we want to live? Is that really how we want to approach the topic of sexuality, there's a tension right there. Is how do we as a church respond? And I believe wholeheartedly it's we do it through the love of Jesus. The gospel. Romans 13, 10, excuse me, 13, 8 through 10 says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear, excuse me, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any commandment, all are summed up in the same, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Your opinions matter or does the gospel matter more to you? What comes out first? See, if we frame it that way, if we say, hey, hey, the Bible's a frame and filter. It's true. It's God's word. I believe it wholeheartedly. We have that we're made in the image of God, and how do we reflect his image? And the best way we can reflect his image in the marriage relationship through sexuality is through a God-centered, God-glorifying marriage between a man and woman pursuing oneness in Jesus. Second is to be fruitful and multiply. That's another reason why marriage needs between a man and a woman rooted in biblical marriage. The third side is, hey, it's an image, it's a picture of Jesus in the church. The last one is, I said, we need to care for the community. And this frame needs to be displayed with the whole idea of love. 
love of Jesus. See, we're all broken. I mentioned earlier, we are a room full of sexual sinners. It's the truth. We're all broken and we need Jesus. Every single one of us need Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me, 6, 9 through 11. Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So you know what this is saying? That if you've committed any kind of sin, if you've sinned, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whether you've gossiped, whether you've shown hate to someone, whether you have committed sexual sin outside the marriage context, no matter what it is, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now if it were just to stop there, it'd be really hopeless, depressing, and we walk out of here feeling defeated. But here's what verse 11 says, and here's the power of the gospel. And such were some of you, right? Just some of us. We've sinned, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. See, Jesus came to bring hope and healing to a hurting maybe this message has brought up a lot of issues from your past or even your present. My hope is that you can feel Jesus there. And what I mean by that is that you believe that Jesus came. He came down the mountain to rescue us, meaning he came, he died on a cross to take all of our sin, our sexual sin and other sins. And then three days later, he conquered sin and death so we could live. It says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you raised from the dead, you'll be saved. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, not something you can earn, not something you can do, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, the gospel. For all of sin have fallen short of the glory of God. It says in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you believe in the gospel? I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment. Have a time of response. Before we go any further, if there's anyone in here has not asked Jesus to be their Savior, and you want to do that today, say, you know what? I'm tired of trying this life on my own. I'm tired of just trying to do it in my own power. But I need Jesus to save me. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And I don't know Jesus. And I want to invite him into my life. If you want to ask Jesus in your life right now, say, you know what? I'm tired of doing this on my own, that I need the hope of a Savior, and I want to live in heaven for all eternity. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Just raise it high for me. If you want to ask Jesus in your life right now, just raise it high for me. Okay? One over here. Anyone else? I'm going to ask another time of response. If you're in here, I'm going to ask, I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. If you don't feel comfortable, don't worry. But you say, you know what? I either know someone that's dealing with sexual sin and I want you to pray for them. I have dealt with something. I need to release something to the Lord. Or I just want to, I'm just committing to pray for my family member who's living a certain lifestyle. I just want them to see Jesus. If you want prayer in any way in regards to sexual sexuality, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm going to raise my hand. Just raise it high. Many of you. Many of you. 
I just want to pray for you right now. God, I don't know why they're raising their hand, but I know that you want to meet them there with your love. Lord, if there are people in here that have multiple partners and they're feeling guilty for that right now, Lord, I pray that you'll bring healing there and they'll know that you love them and you wash them with the blood of Jesus. Lord, if there's men and women in here that are addicted to pornography, that they will know that you will meet them there and that you've washed them with the blood of the Lamb. Lord, I pray there are people dealing with homosexuality and wrestling with that, that you will meet them there. If there are people in here that had affairs in their marriage and there's still animosity and frustration and even anger, God, that they will release it to you and that you will meet them Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com. Thank you.